amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, depending on at what point of day, time of day, you are choosing to listen to Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman. Interested, actually. I wonder what your preferred time of listening. Maybe it's different for every episode. Maybe this is your first episode. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining me again for another episode. I... I just love doing this podcast. I get so much joy out of making it. I learn so much from making it as well. And um, yeah, I think it's my, in terms of work stuff, it's a favourite thing, my favourite ever thing in the world. So I hope that comes across in the way that I uh, talk to my guests. I'm genuinely intrigued about what they do. Um, we have got a busy couple of weeks coming up. Um, we're very lucky in that we are being kind of oversubscribed with guests. So we're making the most of that and we're going to share with you two episodes a week uh, starting from, well, we started that last week, actually, because we gave you Joe Wright and uh, Bryce Desner from The National talking about Serrano, Serrano, however way you want to say it is fine. Uh, Bryce also talked about Come On, Come On, which is a little film Mike Mills has made that uh, Joaquin Phoenix is in. And if you haven't seen it yet, try and dig it out because it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, We also gave you the fabulous Adam McKay last week talking about Don't Look Up. And told us this brilliant story about Anchorman uh, and Afternoon Delight and how it nearly wasn't in the film. So go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Yeah, so coming up over the next couple of weeks, we've got double episodes. So people that are going to be on over the next couple of weeks are Andrew Garfield, Johnny Greenwood, Paul Thomas Anderson, David Newman, uh, to name but a few. Lots and lots of exciting people coming up. But today, rock and roll royalty joins us. For this, our latest episode of Soundtracking, as none other, I mean, pinch me, Dave Grohl joins me to discuss his film, yep, comedy horror, Studio 666. Featuring all six members of the Foo Fighters as themselves, Studio 666 is, it's pretty bonkers, if I'm going to be honest, but um, it's kind of loosely about the band recording an album in an old mansion that is possessed by evil spirits. And we'll begin with a song from the soundtrack by the fictional in-movie band Dream Widow called March of the Insane. And I should actually just warn you before we even get into the music that, well, it being Mr. Grohl, there are, there's a fair few naughty words in there. So you have been warned. Bowman, it's great to see you. How are you? Don't say that like we've never met. 
Okay, it's very formal, and I appreciate you know your tone, but what the fuck? yay! The next ones with you, and I'm like, yay! They're like, it's half an hour long. I'm like, yay! Oh, virtual hug. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm I am all the better for just having you entertain me. I mean, yeah, thank okay, you. I needed this. that. Ready? Here, here we go. <laughs> it's on. <laughs> um, oh, it's great to see you. Good to see you. How are you? How's your weather? What is going on over there? I'm sorry about that. I know you were supposed to be over here in person, but you know, Satan had another idea. <laughs> That's right. Fucking cursed. Right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. It's uh yeah, it's still a blustery out there, but you know, it's it's the UK. You you you've been here many times and witnessed it yourself. Listen, we're going to talk about film and music, which is great because you've got this film out. But before we dive into Studio 666, if you don't mind, I'd really like to hear about your history as a film and music fan and about how what films really connected with you with the music that were part of them. Wow. Um, well, I know Halloween is a big one for you. I mean, I thought I would kind of help you out by throwing one that I know is a... Yeah, is well, a, when I was young... I guess I went to the movie theater when I was young here and there, <laughs> but I do remember one of the first films I ever saw in a theater was the Amityville horror. I was probably about 10 years old and um, my sister had read the book. I think it was like 1979. The book mm -hmm. came out first and became a bestseller and because it was a bestseller. They decided to make a, a movie about this true story of family that moves into a house the house is haunted. There's a, you know, a well in the basement that's a portal to hell and all of these spirits come out and run them out of the house within 10 days. So I remember my sister reading that book and then I picked up the book and read it. And then the film came out. I went to the theater to see it and it scared the fucking shit out of me. Still does to this day. Even that version, the old 1979 version. If I watch it, I have some like residual trauma that it really freaks <laughs> me out. So that was that was my first real horror film. I remember seeing the, the Exorcist for the first time on television, probably around that same time. And it was on Halloween. I remember I had gone trick or treat wow. and I came back home and I emptied out my bag full of candy. And I was sitting on my mother's bed, watching it on television as I was eating the candy. And it scared <laughs> me to death, man. Not to mention that that movie was filmed in Washington, D.C. I grew up just over the bridge from Washington, D.C. And so when I was like a punk rock teenager, that house and those steps in Georgetown, mm -hmm. that's where all the punk rockers would hang out and drink beer on the weekend. Because there was a liquor store next door called Dixie Liquor, where they would sell beer to like a fucking seven-year-old. So we would just sit on those steps and just drink, drink, drink.
And, you know, beyond being one of the best horror films of all time, I really think it's one of the best movies of all time. It's such an incredible story and it's so well made and cast and <laughs> then like throughout my life, you know, I'm not like a horror fanatic. I really never have been. I kind of like appreciate the staples just as much as everyone else does. Yeah. But I do appreciate film. Um, I don't spend a lot of time in front of uh, TV screens and and I don't spend a lot of time in movie theaters anymore. But when I do see something that I love, mm. oh my God, it's it's so yeah. rich and I'm, I, I get really excited. There is something about those seeing as a kid, seeing horror films in your own house that really stays with you. Because if you see them in a movie theater, you're kind of safe because you're going home and you're leaving it there. But seeing it in your own house, there's no escaping it in a way. I remember that as a kid as well, with watching things way younger than I probably should have because my dad had a great like VHS collection. But because you're in your own house, you're kind of like, you can't really escape it. There's something more, more terrifying, I think. Well, you know, if there's a movie that I think is going to scare me or someone said, oh, my God, you have to see this. It's really fucking scary. I'll wait until I'm on an airplane <laughs> to watch it. Because, because what's the Do you want to cry? You know, I'll have like two glasses of wine. Yeah, uh, of course. Like, I'll cry, you know. I'll watch Dumb and Dumber on an airplane and just weep like a fucking baby. I don't know what it is. It's the wine and the altitude and the oxygen, you know. <laughs> But I remember someone saying, you've got to see the Joker. You've got to see the Joker. And usually if someone tells me a hundred times, you've got to see a movie, you've got to see a movie. I'm not going to fucking watch that movie because everyone's told me every time to fucking see it. Then I'm just that contrarian bastard that you know. And so, um, so I remember watching the Joker on a plane and the one scene in the Joker that everyone, that fucks everybody up the most, the talk show scene. I remember on the plane and just like, just sitting in my seat, like, no, 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 no. And then bam, it happens. And I just hit pause and fucking, can I have another glass of Chardonnay? Yeah. You know, I'm a bit of a shit. I like that. You'll only watch scary films on planes from now on as well. That's great. This Studio 66, I had so much fun watching your bonkers and brilliant film. It was such a trip. It really, it really was. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I just, you got to get on that magic carpet ride and you just have the best time ever. How long have you been wanting to make this for? Uh, I never wanted to make this movie. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that anybody really you ever forced you to then. Well, nobody, me, this is my problem in life. I'm like, God, you know what I have to do? And everyone's like, you fucking wanted to do it. Um, no, it, it goes back about three years where we were finishing touring for the last record, Concrete and Gold. And I started writing material for the next record, Medicine at Midnight. And usually when I do that, I'll demo things by myself where I'll play drums and bass and guitar. And I come up with all of these instrumentals just to see if I have something. And then once I do the instrumentals, I send them to the band and say, like, what do you think? Am I crazy? Is this a record? I don't know. But when I do that, I like to be alone. So I'll find somewhere where I can isolate, just shut the door and work by myself. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for a place to, to uh, set up like a little mini studio. I thought maybe I'll just rent a house in the neighborhood and do it. And at that same time, my landlord from 10 years ago emails me and says, Hey, I'm going to sell the house. Do you want to buy it? This is the house in the film. I fucking lived in this house 10 years ago for like a year and a half. No. 
this house. I rented it while I was remodeling my place down the street. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to buy it. But if I could rent it for a little while, I'm writing some music. He's like, yeah, sure. So I move into the house, put some drums and instruments and shit in there. And I'm making these demos and I was sending them to my best friend and producer, Greg Kirsten. And um, Greg's like, where are you recording this shit? The drums sound amazing. I'm like, it's in this house. He's like, let's just make the record there. So I said, great. At that same time, this friend of mine was in a meeting totally unrelated to the Foo Fighters texts me afterwards and says, Hey, I was just in a meeting with these people. They want to make a horror film with your band. And my initial response was that's the stupidest fucking idea I've ever heard in my life. Like why (laughs) on earth would we do something so ridiculous? Not that we're allergic to ridiculous ideas, (laughs) but, um, but then I was sitting there in the house by myself writing music and I'm like, wait a second, you know, we we're I'm in a creepy old house. Why don't we make the record here, finish it, take a couple of weeks off, get some fucking cameras, do things the way we usually do them, which is like kind of <laughs> lo-fi, low budge, run and gun, make some slasher film that our audience will think is really ridiculous. And that's it. And it just snowballed into like all of a sudden. And I came up with this idea like, oh, I got it. Band needs to make a record. Band's sick of using all those studios. Band finds a cool old house. House turns out to be haunted. I become possessed. I murder the whole fucking band. And then I go solo. And that was it. <laughs> and then it just like steamroller, snowballed, ballooned into us sitting here right now talking about a fucking full length feature film that's in theaters, which is nobody ever imagined that that was going to be possible at all. It's so cool. There's so many great moments in this, though. I wanted to ask you as well, because that one, you know, where your your record company guys goes, where's my fucking album, goal? And it's kind of like, I was just like, I wanted to ask if you, if that, if that's kind of word for word of someone saying that to you at some point in your life. Nobody fucking talks to me like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to say that shit to me. No. Uh, no, that has never happened. I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing. Well, first of all, it's funny. You know, I've had only one manager my entire life. <laughs> Uh, for it's 32 years now with the, a, a man named John Silva, who could not be any more opposite than Jeff Garland's uh, character in the film. And I, I think John took it a little personally when he, <laughs> he was like, I don't fucking scream like that. I was like, yeah, what? But, um, <laughs> I, you know, we play on a lot of like really ridiculous rock and roll cliches and stereotypes in the film. You know, what we've now realized is we basically made <laughs> Spinal Tap meets the, the Evil Dead. So we're, we're poking fun at what it's like to be a rock band, whether it's creative differences or writer's block, whatever it is, or the lead singer wants to go solo. Oh, my God. Like, come on. <laughs> we've, fucking, we've heard that story a thousand times, you know, the lead singer. Yeah. Solo, and he's still in the fucking band and he's going solo like that kind of shit so um you know <laughs> i think that that a lot of the the funniest moments are ones that musicians will really appreciate because they're just so cliche you know and that being one of them <laughs> her screaming at a band i need a fucking record that's never happened to us ever and then the bits as well where you're kind of going, I've got, I've got a couple of riffs. What do you think? And you're kind of straight into all my life and never long. It's like, it's such a simple that idea. That may have happened just... before. I mean, we've got a lot of fucking songs. <laughs> that might have happened before. You know, there are times where you think you're coming up with a new idea. You're like, oh my God, I've got this idea for a melody. 
Oh, this is really funny, actually. I just remembered this. In like 1992, you know, back even while I was in Nirvana, I was recording things by myself. Nobody would ever hear them because I just did them in my basement. And I remember I came up with this idea for a song and I was living with my best friend, Barrett, who recorded the first Foo Fighters record, but we had a studio in the basement. And I'm like, hey, dude, let's record something today. I have an idea. And at the time, Nirvana was really busy flying everywhere, touring and doing tons of shit. And we go and we start recording this song and he's like, Dude, that sounds a lot like the United Airlines theme. <laughs> and it's because every time you got on the fucking plane, that fucking music would be like, I was like, oh my God, I thought that was mine. What the fuck? I was just in Paris the other day. You know, in France, you have that weird thing at the train stations where it's that bop. And it's kind of, you can't get it out your head. It's just there for days. It's like, why am I, where have I heard? Oh, it's the train station in Paris. Oh my God. You know, eventually someone pointed out to me that um, (laughs) our song, The Pretender, you know, is like, what have I say? I'm not like the others. They're like, this is just after I had like my first kid. And I would, I guess we were playing the one of these things is not like the other game. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Um, I love as well the um the got the the band. It's just lovely to see you all kind of have have some fun in this film as well. You see, I think Pat needs his own spinoff. To be honest, though, I think he's so lo-fi and brilliant and funny and just you just laugh. You just yeah. laugh with him. You know, we had. I remember once the idea started like picking up steam where then there were screenwriters and then there was the special effects guy. And then there was like the cinematographer like, Whoa, what the, the really, this is going there. Um, and then someone's like, Oh, on Wednesday, we're having a table read. And we're like, what the fuck is a table read? Nobody had any clue. They're like, Oh no, no, that's where you sit down and you are like, okay. <clears throat> so we sat down and we're reading through the script and the producers are there and the director's there. And um, I remember when we were finished, I thought, Oh my God, Rami Jaffe is the star of this fucking film, our keyboard player, Rami. I'm like, he could have his own franchise of like romantic comics like, <laughs> yeah. for the rest of his life. He's got to do a dating show. He has to do a dating show. And I mean, this is the thing is, you know, as the screenwriters were coming up with the script, Rebecca, one of the screenwriters, came over to the studio while we were recording just so she could like get a feel of who we are and the dynamic between the band members and how we make a record so she could apply that to the script that she was writing and then exaggerate Mm -hmm. in like a ridiculous way but she got Rami like she's I think she saw Rami and she's like oh I I know how to write (laughs) and Pat it's like dude when Pat shows up on on the screen it's just like it's gold but the best thing is Taylor (laughs) (laughs) fucking Taylor (laughs) Taylor refused to learn any of the lines in the script. Like, I remember after the table read, he was like, I'm not fucking saying that shit. He goes, I'm just going to say whatever I want to say. And we were like, okay, dude, we'll see what happens. And honestly, he comes off so perfectly natural. He is, that's 100% Taylor Hawkins. Every word out of his mouth in the movie, I swear, is just right off the top of his fucking head. And he nailed it. It was great. You're like a dancer counting into a dance. That's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> Taylor Hawkins. But you can imagine. So now you know what it's like to be in a band with Taylor Hawkins. There you go. 
What about with the music with the film? I mean, I know that I see that John Carpenter and Jodie involved in the the kind of the theme and production on that, and then um, Ray's well on the music. Was that an easy thing to kind of navigate in terms of you know you're kind of you're 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 making a film. It's got to have a score. It's got to have the, well, the, you know, the whole the deal. Things, one of the great things about making the movie was that um, you know we didn't really have to rely on casting agents or Hollywood connections to get these people in the film. Like we know all of these people, you know, like Ray, uh, I mean, uh, Roy, like we, he's a drummer and plays in bands and we've known him for years. And someone like Whitney Cummings, like we've known each other for years. And when we needed uh, her character, I just texted her like, Oh my God, guess what? We're making a horror movie. And then she was like, great, let's do it. Or Lionel Richie. Like I literally. Oh my god, Lionel Richie! I just fucking. He he was written into the script without the screenwriters knowing that I had known him. No. Yeah. That he'd given you the giant cupcake basket and everything. Exactly. Yes, that whole story. And so, (laughs) I see Lionel Richie's in the movie in a dream sequence. I'm like, (gasps) and I just fucking text him. I'm like, Yo, Lionel, we're making a horror film. You want to be in it? He's like, Absolutely, my brother. And that was it. So, um, and the John Carpenter thing. That's the craziest one because. Wow. Well, because it's John Carpenter, but our lighting designer, this guy, Dan Hadley, he's our lighting guy. He's been with us for a million years. Also does lights for John Carpenter when John Carpenter goes out and performs his music live. Mm -hmm. So we tell Dan we're making a horror film. Dan's like, oh my God, you should ask John Carpenter to be in it. And I'm like, there's no fucking way. John, the king of horror (laughs) is going to be in our shitty little movie. He's like, email him. I'm like, all right. So I, I'm like, hi, my name's Dave. I'm in a band called Foo Fighters, making a horror film. And uh, I guess we took his his kids' band on the road 15 years ago. We toured America with them. And no so he emailed back and said, you know, you took my kids' band on the road 15 years ago, and you treated him really well. So to return the favor, not only will I be in your film, but I'll also write the theme. I know! Are you oh, fucking- my God! It's it's Merry hard. Christmas. It, I mean, <laughs> beyond like that is jackpot shit. I was like, oh <laughs> my god, and you know he couldn't have been more kind and generous. And it's yeah, it's hard to believe. It sounds fucking <laughs> crazy, but every day you're like, wait, what just happened? Oh my god, awesome! Yeah, <laughs> fucking wild. Did you? I don't know. Did you ask him for anything specific, or did you just go just do what you do with uh, John, John the theme? Yeah. Like, I'm going to tell that guy how to write a fucking theme song? No. <laughs> you know, when we got the theme song back, it was like, it's quintessential John Carpenter theme music. And if you didn't tell someone would, it, it was John Carpenter, they'd be like, wow, this sounds a lot like John <laughs> Carpenter. You're like, it fucking is. You know, like, it blew everybody's mind. Like, we got chills and the real horror aficionados were like tears streaming. Like, oh, my God. It was great. But that's nice for you as well, because I heard you talk about the story about the Halloween score with your drumming and it being a real kind of right. Um, There's this one scene, yes, where it's it's almost like a polyrhythm. There's this polyrhythm, one, yeah. The one note that's going ding, 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 ding. There's another one that goes ding, 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 and and I figured out how to do that with my hands when I was maybe fucking. 13 years old and it was one of the best drumming lessons i've ever had in my life i never thanked him for that i sh- probably should get another email off to him hi john dave again hi uh, my name's dave <laughs> from the <Bay> <laughs> we made a movie together 
got you've always had a really great um eye of connecting music with with a moving image because Foo Fighters videos are legendary brilliant and great short films really when you think about it you know they're a lot of them are not just your typical kind of band music video they've got a narrative they're fun you know there's you're having you, you know you're, you're trying to explore and play with things sort of thing so you've I know for me as a fan you've always had that kind of side to you and it's it's just really nice to see you do it kind of full length really with it yeah I think we realized pretty early on that there was no use in trying to seem cool and handsome <laughs> so we <laughs> might as well just kind of poke fun at that whole medium in itself like you know, if you look at like one of our first videos, the Big Me video is a parody of a candy commercial. One of the reasons being that most fucking videos are candy commercials. They're like trying <laughs> to sell you this sweet version of some product. And, I, you know, that just sort of was the springboard for the next 26 years of making these ridiculous videos. But yes, I think that 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 process did prepare us for doing this, although we never imagined doing something on this scale. But there is something that connects those two senses, uh, the visual and the uh, sonic or oral side of your mind. When those two things kind of cross and they cross in the right way, it only enhances the experience. It becomes a more aesthetic experience where you're really like, you're seeing something beautiful as you're hearing something beautiful and then you're feeling beautiful and which is not the case in studio 66, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, I think that, uh, that since I was young, I've just always had this weird imagination and I, I, I just like to play those things out in my head. You know, when it comes to making films, like the documentary stuff that we've done, whether it's sound city or yeah. sound highways or what drives us or cradle stage things like that i'm always really involved in the edit um because of the timing and uh the construction or compilation of moments to to convey whatever it is that you're that that is the message but also to find a way to braid music within those things and make it all seamless almost so much that you don't even realize that there's music happening. It's just making you feel mm. something as you're watching something. That was a really, yeah. like, what did I just say? I don't know what I just said. It was deep, but it's true wow. because it's that thing where it's kind of <laughs> your face, but it's that thing where it kind of, there's an amazing synergy, I think, between music and the moving image. And it connects, it, it affects you emotionally in a way that you can't control. It has this weird kind of control over your emotions that you, you can't stop. Yeah, I think that it also has something to do with, you know, there's this condition that some people have called synesthesia, where like where so your sensory pathways are sort of crossed. I have that in this weird way in that I can't read music. I don't know how to read music, so but I can picture it in my mind. So if someone mm -hmm. plays me something, I can remember that arrangement because I visualize it as I'm listening to it. It's almost like I see it in little Legos in my head, like little shapes and things like that. So I refer to the visual in order to remind myself of the of the sound. Yeah. How do you decide? Oh, hold, come in and say hi quick, Spike. Quick, quick, come here. It's all right. Come here. Spike. Quick. Quick, Spike, quick, quick, quick. The eight-year-old uh is just on level two on drums. Grade two. Hey, a drummer. He's, How you doing? He can't hear you because I've got my buds in. But oh. just go and say night to night to day if you just gone to bed. No. Wave hi and say bye. 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 
He's in my, yeah, he knows you're a great drummer. Night, buddy. <laughs> He's, um, he just did a song too for Blur for his um, school concert and um, nice. smashed it. Yeah, it's so good. All right. Night, buddy. Um, but um, I was going to ask about when you're, when, yeah, please, buddy. Sorry about that. When your music's used in, you know, in, in film and stuff like that, how involved you are in, in that kind of thing. Because there's, I mean, it's been used so much, but like Wolf of Wall Street being one that I can really remember with Everlong. I don't know, are you involved in that decision if someone comes and you go, we want to use your song? Yeah, always. Um, you know, sometimes it's as silly as, hey, this fucking toothpaste commercial wants to use my hero, <laughs> whatever. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Other times, if it's like a, if it's something that's really a substantial part of a scene, we'll get the scene with the music in it and then decide like, yeah, that works or that doesn't work. But yeah, we do, you know, of course. I mean, I hope so. Fuck, who knows how many of our songs are in <laughs> like Two-Face commercials all over the world. I don't know. <laughs> I'd buy it. I got a last question that he wanted me to actually ask. It was how old were you when you started playing drums? Um, well, I started playing drums before I had a drum set. So I would just set up pillows in the configuration of a drum set on my bedroom floor and play along the record. Mm-hmm. It's probably like... Mm-hmm. 10 years old or 11 years old, something like that. I didn't actually start playing on drum sets until I was maybe 13 or 14. I was a guitarist in a neighborhood band. I played guitar and I would wait for the drummer to go home and then just fucking, you know, destroy his drum set and then come back to the next rehearsal. Like, God, what happened to your drum set? I I have no idea. Um, So... (laughs) But I didn't really even learn to set up a drum set until I was in my like third band as a drummer. Um, I'm not the sharpest on. fucking shit. You know that, right? <laughs> I um, I want to finish by asking because you know you've made all these great you've made these great films. You, you mentioned um, you know Sonic Highways and 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 all the videos and and this film. But have you got aspirations to make uh to direct uh, a feature film? And I know you're so involved in this, you you know, but but in terms of I don't know, making that step completely into that world or oh, not. No, man. I mean, that's almost like asking a politician if they're willing to run for president. Everybody's <laughs> like, mm, I'm asking well, you. I'm not sure, maybe. <laughs> um, I've been asked to do it before. Thing is, is I got this day job that I kind of want to keep. That you stuff. love so much. I, I I mean, I know that you know the Foo Fighters do a lot of like things outside of being in the band. But being in the band is the best part of being in the Food Fighters. Like coming over to do shows and staring your audience in the face and having a fucking three hour long sing along and going into the studio and writing new songs with your friends and fucking being stuck in buses and stuck on planes and stuck in vans. Like we still enjoy doing that. It's it's pretty great. Like we we, we really yeah. do love each other. And at the end of the day, the most rewarding part of this entire experience is playing rock and roll, you know, uh, of course, if it were the right thing at the right time, I would totally do it. That being said, it would have to be more fun than being in the Foo Fighters and fucking nothing's more fun than being in the Foo Fighters. Oh, well, listen, nothing's more fun than coming to watch you plays where, I mean, been lucky to see you guys so many times over the years. Milton Keynes Bowles one I really, I really remember from about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe. That was amazing. Um, But yeah, I can't wait to see you play next. I hope that's going to be soon. And I thank you so much for your time tonight. It's so great to see you. And thanks for the fun of Studio 666 as well. See you soon, I hope. Yeah, bye, Dave. Take care. Lots of love. Stay safe. All right. You too.
as used to great effect in The Wolf of Wall Street, that's Everlong by the Foo Fighters. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the one and only Dave Grohl. My huge thanks to Dave for taking the time to talk to us. Studio 666 is out in cinemas now and I think is a hugely entertaining if gory joyride. If you're new to the podcast, please head to edithbowman.com which is where you can catch up with all of our previous episodes. You've got about 290 to get through, so that should keep you busy for a wee while. And if you can, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And finally, if you do like what you hear, then we would be eternally grateful if you could do one or a number of things. Tell your friends, uh, rate us leave a comment on uh, iTunes or any of the other podcast providers. That would be an amazing thing and very much appreciate it in advance. Thank you in advance if you do take the time to do that. Next up, ooh, well, will it be Andrew Garfield? Will it be Johnny Greenwood? Will it be Paul Thomas Anderson? You just have to join us on Friday to find out. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.